Welcome to Dream Gardens, where we talk up the children's books we love. My name is Jody Lima, and on this twice-monthly podcast, hosted on the first and third Monday of each month, I interview other kids' books enthusiasts about their own favorite children's books. Today, I'm going to be interviewing Janae Brown-Wood. Janae is author of the Where in the Garden series of picture books, and we're going to be talking about the second book of that series, which is titled Miguel's Community Garden. We're also going to be talking about her own favorite book, which is a picture book called A Story About Afia, which is written by James Barry and illustrated by Anna Cunha. But before we get to all that, I want to let you know that if you're interested in participating in the Dream Gardens podcast, please send me a request through my contact page at jleemott.com. You can also go on there to check out all the other Dream Gardens podcasts. Or if you want to know more about my own work as an author, you can go to my author website at jodylemott.com. And finally, if you like what you hear today, please link, share, comment, write a review, or subscribe. Please let me know what you think. My guest today is Janae Brownwood. Janae is author of such books as Shh, The Baby's Asleep, Amani's Moon, and Amara's Farm, which is the first of her Where in the Garden series of books. Her latest book is the second in the Where in the Garden series, titled Miguel's Community Garden. You can find more information about Janae at www.janaebrownwood.com. Uh, thank you for joining me today, Janae. Thank you so much for having me. I, I just love having the opportunity to talk about books and things that I enjoy in children's literature. So so thank you for having me today. We're going to be talking about Miguel's uh, community in a little bit. But before we get to that, can you talk a little bit about uh, this uh, Where in the Garden series, uh, how it got started and what was the inspiration for that? Absolutely. Uh, I was visiting a friend's home. He was um, He was having a party and he took the guests out to his backyard and his backyard was just bursting with plants and it was just this wonderful garden. And, you know, he lives in a relatively urban space, but I was captivated by it. And and what I was captivated by the most was his preschool age daughter. She might've been a toddler at that time, but, uh, you know, three, four year old walking through this garden space with such comfort. And she was pointing out produce and just was so comfortable in that space. And it just inspired this story of a little girl walking through a garden and, and, you know, enjoying being in that environment. And that is how the, the series was born. It started with Amara and it's going to include four other, or, um, three other characters total. And it's all about, again, being in this, garden or a different type of garden and looking at the produce and some compare and contrast as they maneuver that space. And in the most, this most recent one, Miguel's community garden, what did you, what was the idea there? What did you want to focus on in this particular book? Yeah. So the way that the series works is for each book, the character is looking for a specific produce and they're moving through the produce, they're moving through the garden looking for that produce. And what's fun about it is they'll pick some kind of characteristic of the produce. So for example, Amara's farm was pumpkins. She'd say, I'm looking for pumpkins. And there's this beautiful spread that says a pumpkin 
and it just has all these characteristics, often orange, has a stem on the top, et cetera. And so then she'll move to the next produce and say, you know, a, a pumpkin is often orange. Is this a pumpkin? And look at it and says, oh, no, that's a carrot. A carrot is orange, but, and then it would have some other characteristic that only the carrot has that the pumpkin doesn't. And that's how the whole series works. Specifically for Miguel, he's looking for his sunflowers. And there's, again, this beautiful spread of what a sunflower includes, yellow petals, seeds in the middle, long green stem. And so he's moving through the community garden and search for his sunflowers. I had a uh, quick question. I was wondering, I noticed in the book, there's this little bee that follows throughout uh, the book, and I hadn't had a chance to read Amara's Farm. Is that happened there too, or is there another sort of sort of follow through in that book? Does it change from book to book? Yeah, you know, one of the fun things about writing books is to see what the illustrator captures, because the way Samara Hardy illustrated these books, it's just amazing. It's her her capturing of the produce is beautiful, but she does incorporate these fun little characters throughout all the books. And so um, for Miguel, he's got a pet turtle that you get to see all through the book. And each of the other kids also have pets, but she does include these different insects and birds. And so for, yeah, for Miguel, there's a bee, you see birds, you see worms, and you see in Amara's farm, same sorts of things, birds and ladybugs. So just fun insects that you would find in a garden or a farm. I'm curious, too, uh, you mentioned the illustrator, uh, Samara Hardy, who worked on uh, the, the first book in the series. And I assume she'll be working on the um, the other books in the, the Where in the Garden series of books as well. I'm wondering, uh, because it's somebody who's done a book before and doing a, a, a sort of multiple books, is there, a, what's the, is there a collaborative relationship or is it sort of, because I know it varies from um, a picture book, you know, writing text and illustrators, you know, sometimes it's just, um, there's not necessarily uh, a collaborative and sometimes there is. I'm just wondering what, what, what is the situation uh, in this case? You know, uh, for this case, I'm working with Peachtree. There is collaboration, but it's not necessarily with me. Um, I would say my editor and, you know, the art director are really working together and with Samara on these. And I can offer suggestions and things, but um, but I haven't had a chance to really work directly with Samara. Uh, but I will say one thing. I, I reached out to Samara because, Jody, I don't know if you had a chance to look at the end pages. And she just captured these vibrant produce on the end pages. And as soon as I saw them, I was just mesmerized. So I reached out to her and, and I said, hey, would you be okay if I used the visuals of the end pages and put them on an apron? And then I could use that apron as a giveaway or for videos. And she said, yes, absolutely. And so for each of the books, I've had these aprons made. And actually I have a I'm doing this little cooking series is what I'm calling it, Cooking with Janae. And I make the recipe that's included in each of the back of the books with two young, you know, chefs or bakers. And we all have the apron that has those in paper prints on them. And so I was able to, again, um, talk directly to Samara about that to get those images to include on the apron. That's a very neat idea. That's a very neat idea. I know for this one, it was a sunflower seed uh, salad. What was the recipe for Amara's Farm? 
It was um, molasses pumpkin bread. And, and I'm biased because, you know, I did make the recipe, but it's delicious. So, <laughs> but yeah, yeah, it's a pumpkin molasses bread. And I have a video called Cooking with Janae, Amara's Pumpkin Molasses, uh, sorry, Molasses Pumpkin Bread. And we go through the recipe and I'm actually in the process of um, creating the video for Miguel's Community Garden, which is the sunflower spinach salad. We mentioned there's, there's going to be a couple more books in this series. Can you talk a little bit about what we might look forward to? Yeah. So uh, there are four characters total. Um, there's Amara, as we know, is the first book that came out. Uh, Miguel is coming out in uh, March. Then there's Logan and Lynn. And one of the things that really brings me to this work as an author is I'm all about diversity. I just feel like it's so important that any child anywhere can pick up a book and find themselves on the pages of that book represented in a meaningful and authentic way. And so often the books that I write incorporate diversity. Um, And I try to do that with this series as well. So Amara is a young African-American girl who lives on a farm with her grandparents. So her primary caregivers are her her grandpa and her grandma. Miguel, um, he visits this community garden and he has two fathers. Um, Lynn, she is, oh, I'm sorry, and Miguel is uh, Hispanic Latino um, heritage. Uh, Lynn, she is Asian American and she has a single mother, but they all together live with her grandparents as well. And then Logan is a white American and he's got a mother and a father, but he is in a wheelchair. So again, really trying to embrace diversity because it's beautiful, but also to make sure it's reflected in books. And that's what I, I tried to do with this Where in the Garden series. Um, so Miguel's coming out March 1st. Do you have an idea of when the other books are coming out? Yeah, uh, I, I'll have to say with COVID, it just messes everything up as far as timelines. So you can have, oh, it's coming out this day. And then, oh, no, it's not. Um, so tentatively, uh, Miguel, I, I'm pretty sure is all good to go. Uh, it'll be out March 1st. Logan, the plan is October is when it's supposed to be released. And then if I'm not mistaken, Lynn is supposed to be coming out next year around spring. But I I don't um, off the top of my head remember the exact publication date. All right. Well, uh, definitely something to look forward to. Can you share a little bit of Miguel's community garden with us today? Yeah, I'd love to open this up. And I, I love it on the right next to the end page. There's a image of Miguel and he's sort of spraying some water on his little turtle pet. And he's got his two dads standing there with him with some produce and a um, basket. So again, really just trying to make sure diversity is being captured in an authentic way. All right. Miguel's community garden. Miguel has many plants in his community garden. Today, Miguel must find his sunflowers for his garden party. What do we know about sunflowers? A sunflower is tall. It has yellow petals and a round center with many seeds. Its leaves are smooth with pointy tips, and they are large and stick out. It also grows from the ground in the bright sun, and it stands on a single thick stem with its bright flower on the very top. Let's help Miguel find his sunflowers. A sunflower is tall. 
Is that a sunflower? No, those are apricots on an apricot tree. An apricot tree is tall, but it is much taller than a sunflower. A sunflower has yellow petals. Is that a sunflower? No, those are artichokes. An artichoke has petals, but they are green and not yellow. So I'm going to stop there. Um, but it, I think those pages are a great kind of depiction of the rest of the book, moving through the community garden, looking for different produce, compare and contrast until finally he finds his sunflowers and just in time for his garden party. Um, and, and I love the spread at the end where all of the four characters are together on this picnic blanket and Miguel's parents are there and one of his dads has a guitar and everyone's smiling and it's just so uh I feel like it matches the spring feel of just happiness and brightness and excitement and it's a book of exploration um because um I mean he's he's sort of looking thinking about the different characteristics and then both you know how are things similar and how are they different and so and so he, learning a little bit about uh, all the different things that he finds along the way as well yep and and on top of that introducing young readers possibly to produce they'd never had exposure to before um that was also something i tried to do with these books so uh by by education, I'm an early childhood education. Uh, I don't like to say my, call myself expert, but that's what I'm trained in, right? ECE. And one of the things that I take to heart is this idea of disguised learning. So a child might not realize they're learning because they're so engaged in the activity or the book or whatever it is that you're doing within your environment. And so they don't realize they're learning, but they are. And I feel like that's what these books do as well. The children are excited to yell out, no, that's not a sunflower. But they don't realize, oh, I just gave you the uh, name, a label for a new type of produce. And these are some characteristics of it. Um, and then I think that opens the door for conversations with parents and teachers about these produce they may not have, like I said, as much exposure to, but may now have a willingness to try them out because they got to learn about it from this Where in the Garden series. I often talk about that um, sometimes people don't appreciate just um, picture books. Sometimes they seem very simple, but you know the idea of you, you want to educate the kids, but you still need to engage them. You yes. still need to interest them and sort of balancing those things. Um, is not an easy task. It is not as easy as it looks. It's, um, I, I was saying in a, a previous podcast, you know, it's a, it, it's hard work to make uh, something look effortless. It takes a lot of effort to make <laughs> things look effortless. Yes. Yeah, I, I couldn't agree more. Um, and then sometimes when people who don't really know what goes into writing a picture book, you know, sometimes they might think, oh, it's just for kids. It must be easy. And it is not easy, you know, to try to capture a whole narrative, the disguised learning, engagement, all the pieces that are important for a narrative arc within less than a thousand words. It's, it's challenging. Um, and then to be able to do that with embedding a lesson or learning is even harder because something that I've noticed, sometimes I work with people who are interested in becoming children's book authors, and they'll share some of their early manuscripts with me. And I often try to let, sh let them know if something seems didactic, because if the book feels like I'm trying to teach you something, 
that's harder to sell, at least in my experience, that's harder to sell to an editor versus here is a dynamic story and characters we care about. And there's some learning that's embedded in there too. So it really, it's a craft that takes a lot of learning and um, practice to perfect. And I don't even know if perfection is... (laughs) Is a possibility because I'm still learning so much of how to do this right, you know, myself. Well, I, I always thought that, you know, uh, any writer, no matter what they write, whether they write for adults or whatever genre, should always take a, 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 a try to write a picture book at least once just to <laughs> see if they experience that. I think they'll learn something about writing, even if it doesn't quite work out. Yeah, I think that's a great exercise, especially for those who, you know, write much longer works because you have way more space to say what you need to say as opposed to um, one of my books grandma's tiny house i think it's really got to be less than 300 words and but still have to do that effectively and tell the story and get you engaged with the characters and and be efficient with your your word use now the book you picked is one of your own particular favorite books is also another picture book. It's the story about Afia. And this was written by, or the text is by James Barry, and it was illustrated by uh, Anna Cunha, and it was published in 2020. Uh, for those who might not be familiar with this book, can you talk a little bit of what it is, what it's about? Yeah, so it's this beautiful book about a young character named Afia. And she's black, and she's got this white frock that she'll put on. And every time she goes out into the world and engages the environment, it's as if the environment imprints some new beautiful design onto her frock. And every night she comes home and she washes it clean um, until she sometimes has some struggles doing that. But it's just really this, this story that to me captures childhood and frivolity and playfulness and creativity and it's just done so beautifully with the illustrations and when did you first encounter this book so i i wear many hats so i'm a children's author but i'm actually also a professor and a scholar and so i was doing a content analysis on some picture books where i'm reading the picture books and looking for themes and all of that. And that's how I actually came across this book because it was in my collection of books to read. And I just fell in love with it instantly. Just again, the artwork and the story and, you know, um, within literature about the importance of diversity in children's books, uh, Dr. Rudine Sims Bishop said that books should be mirrors, they should be sliding glass doors, they should be windows. And so by mirrors, meaning reflecting our experiences back to us in meaningful ways. And I felt like for me, this book, it felt like a mirror. It felt like maybe not completely, but I did see myself in this character. um, And it just really spoke to my heart, I think. Um, And that's one of the reasons why it really caught my eye. And what is it about this character? I mean, it, it is a story about Afia, although there's it's not a story and like there's a conflict or a problem to be solved or it's a sort of things, um, different sort of things that happen to her. I'm just saying, so what do we learn about her? It isn't that a problem to be solved, but we still learn a lot about her. Yeah, we do. And I think it's interesting um, because maybe I'm kind of flipping through, looking at some of the pages, 
that there isn't that there doesn't seem like there's an apparent conflict. And this is just sort of my my view of it. It doesn't seem like there's an apparent conflict, but I think there is in the sense that it's it's tied to childhood and some kind of uncertainty about the world around us and how it might affect us, but still keeping some of that innocence, purity of heart to still fully engage. So it, it doesn't feel like, you know, she's trying to solve a problem, but it feels like, um, for example, the part where when she was trying to wash her dress and she noticed that the color wasn't coming out anymore. And she already didn't quite know how the color got captured there to begin with, but then it wasn't coming out completely. And then she just sort of put it away and it's okay and came out the next morning and it was gone. So I, I just feel like that innocence, that uncertainty goes hand in hand with perhaps how children feel about uncertain situations. And it's always going to be this ongoing conflict because with experience, with um, learning new skills, with, you know, trying new things, you start to build the skills that help you to overcome adversity. So that's kind of how I looked at it, Jody. It wasn't a clear a clear conflict, but there was one tied to something that I think would speak to children related to, again, just the uncertainty of the world around you. That's interesting. When I was reading the book, you know, and, and the first thing I think in my rational adult brain said, oh, these are things that she's imagining are happening. But then I thought, well, as a child is reading this, they might be thinking, well, these are things that she's really experiencing. And then I took a step back and saying, maybe I'm missing the point by thinking about it. So, you know, oh, it's just her imagination. And, and I realized, oh, I'm, 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 I'm missing out on something by trying to, you know, you know, think about it in that sort of, you know, trying to categorize things. And so, but to me, that's the beauty of a powerful story. You look at it one way and you're like, huh, I didn't see that. But then I say, actually, this is how I saw it. And then if you put this in the hands of another child, they, you know, or an, another adult or a child, they might see something completely different. And I mean, I, I feel like that sort of aligns with the story in itself. Here she is. She goes out into the world and depending on the experiences she's having, the way I took it is that it imprints maybe concretely on her dress, but each of those experiences are actually imprinting on her as a person, as a child, right? And while the slate seems clean after she washes that dress, it's not. Those experiences are always going to be there and they're always going to uh, be a part of who she is as a person, even as she grows, even though there's so much uncertainty. So I don't know. I just <laughs> feel like the story is so layered and in a beautiful way um, and just powerful. And part of it is just the, the text of the story. And I'm just wondering, do you think other writers could take away from just how James Barry just sort of paints pictures with just words? If you just look at the text and how just it's very vivid, just, just in the language. It is. You know, when I was reading um, at the back where it talks about like, who James Berry is and who Anna Cunha are, um, it says that James Berry was a celebrated Jamaican poet. And when I read this, it felt like poetry. And poetry, you know, that, that's a whole nother podcast episode in itself. But, you know, when poetry is done well, it's, it's very powerful. And so when I read these words, I really, I, when I read it out loud to myself, I found that I was reading it in the cadence that I read poetry. 
And um, as an author, I also write poetry and I write and rhyme as well. And so I appreciated just the word choice and the ability for, for James Barry to capture those images. But even while he was doing it, the pictures complemented it, you know, mm-hmm. and that is a hard thing to do as well. Um, as authors, we'll write words and then sometimes that stuff gets cut out once the illust- illustrations are introduced. But even though he's using images in his words, it didn't, it didn't sort of conflict with what Anna Cunha was able to, able to do with her illustrations. Yeah, they almost seem like, um, I don't know if they're watercolor or um, they, they, they seem very p- painted uh, illustrations, you know, very, very colorful. They, did they not just support, but expand on the words as well? Yeah, I'm looking, um, you know, often, oh, here we go. It says original artwork used mixed media finished digitally. So yeah, just, I don't know, a combination, I think, perhaps. Curiosia, one thing I often talk about with picture books uh, is that, uh, you know, we often think of them as being for very young children, but uh, I often think there's a value in using picture books for older kids or even adults. And can you see a book uh, like this uh, being used in a variety of ways for, for older kids than we usually think of picture books or even adults and exploring uh, different ideas? Oh, Absolutely. Absolutely. I could see, I'll start with adults. I could see myself using this in an ECE classroom when we talk about experiences that children have and how that can impact behavior, that can impact neural development. And, you know, using this sort of metaphor of the frock and everything that Athea experiences gets captured on this frock and then being washed away, but perhaps never fully, you know, being erased. And kind of using that um, when thinking about young children that we're supporting in our classrooms, thinking about some of the experiences, perhaps even traumas that they had gone through as these children had gone through and what we can do to help support them. Mm -hmm. Um, For older children, because I I just love the creativity that a book like this can, I don't know, provoke. I think having a conversation with older kids, like if we ask them, if you had a frock or a shirt and every experience that you had that you can remember in your past changed the color of the frock, what would some of those experiences be? And I could see that being used in an art activity where, you know, maybe each student gets five frocks or five pictures, excuse me, five um, pictures of shirts. And then they captured some kind of image tied to an experience that they had. And then the teacher asked them to write about that experience. And then we put that up around the classroom and we have some kind of gallery walk where every student gets to look at each other's and share a little bit about that experience. I mean, that's, (laughs) that's powerful, you know? Um, And, and it's reflective for the students as well. So I think a book like this could be used across ages in meaningful ways. Oh, I can definitely see that as well. Uh, is there a part of this book you can share with us? Yeah, yeah. I think I'll um, share some of the, the first pages. So, A Story About Afia by James Berry and Anna Cunha. I'm going to just read really quickly um, 
on the title page, it says Afia, a Swahili name meaning health, is pronounced Afia. Afia has fine black skin that shows off her white clothes and big brown eyes that laugh and long limbs that play. She has a white summer frock she wears and washes every night that every day picks on something to collect, strangely. Afia passes sunflowers and finds the yellow fringed black faces there imprinted on her frock all over. Another time, she passes red roses and there the clustered bunches are imprinted on her frock. It really is a beautiful book, isn't it? Yeah, it is. It's just beautiful. Well, uh, Janae, uh, thank you so much uh, for taking the time to talk to me both about uh, your own book, the We're in the Garden series, and, and sharing Miguel's community garden. And I'm looking forward to more of those. And for talking to me about uh, a, a story about Afia, uh, which was a new book to me and I hadn't read, so I'm very glad. Uh, it's always a nice thing when I, I get introduced to books that I hadn't uh, read before. So thank you very much for taking the time to talk to me about it today. Yeah, this was a pleasure. And I really hope um, listeners go and find this book and read it and share it with children around you. And, and you know, maybe talk a little bit about some artwork that you could create that's, that's inspired by Afia and her story. You can find more information about Janae at www.janaebrownwood.com. Thank you for joining me on Dream Gardens. The theme music, titled All Together, is provided courtesy of Purple Planet Music. You can visit them at www.purpleplanet.com. Podcast cover art was created through Canva, which can be found at www.canva.com. You can find the Dream Gardens podcast website at jleemott.com and my author website at jodyleemott.com. You can also follow me on Twitter at dreamgardensjlm. The Dream Gardens podcast is available through iTunes, Stitcher, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. If you like what you hear, please comment, share, or subscribe. And until next time, keep dreaming, keep growing, and keep reading. Keep reading.